0: an old story about a farming village. No, no rain. Crops were dying. They were desperate. So they asked the young pastor, hey, would you, would you pray with us that God would send rain? So almost all the village showed up to pray for rain. He looked around the room and he said, okay, everybody except that guy over there go on home. Everybody else leave, but that guy over there. And they said, why does he get to stay? He said, He's the only one who brought an umbrella. There is a big difference between believing that abiding in Jesus will produce fruitfulness and people who show up with an umbrella. We'd encourage you, get an umbrella.
1: Hello and welcome to the Kiskea Chapel sermon podcast. Kiskea Chapel is an international church in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where we equip English speaking believers to expand God's kingdom in our community and beyond. For more information about Kiskea Chapel, you can visit us on our website at kiskeiachapel.org. We hope you enjoy this message.
0: There they are. Those are my three boys when they were little. They're very big now. A couple of them bigger than me, or in the right ways, bigger than me, anyways. Uh, Their names are Scott, oops, thank you, John. Scott, Corey, and Kevin. And uh, right now, the oldest Scotty is 32. Is he 32? Some more. He's close to 32. <laughs> I'm going to go with 32, uh, 30, and 28. I'm going to say as approximate ages there now. Uh, when they were little, oh, those great days when they were little. They're amazing now. Those were amazing days. Uh, we had maybe the biggest scare of our life as parents. And when they were about this age, somewhere around this age, The, whoa. <laughs> oh, was I supposed to dismiss the kids? No? Yes. Kids remain, I knew this. I knew that was supposed to happen. <laughs> the middle one there, that's my little Kevin. And Kevin is, uh, we used to say, everybody should be Kevin. Because Kevin, um, the other two would fight over who gets to sit in the front seat. You know, they go, I call front seat, and then they'd wrestle and see who could get in. And Kevin, when he was little, he had a really high voice. So he'd say, I get back seat. (laughs) Nobody'd ever argue with him. He was always happy. He'd just take his juice box and sit in the back. Uh, Kevin was just a happy kid. So he usually let his older brothers fight over stuff. Well, I was on a study time at, uh, some people owned a small cabin on a lake. And they said, why don't you go out there and do your study time? So I went out to this lake called Lake Latawana and I'm doing my study time and they call and they say, hey, by the way, we have a boat on the lake. Would you like to take your family out on the boat? I'm thinking, oh, this is Laurel's greatest fear. Kids on the water. I mean, uh, she was a lifeguard at a swimming pool growing up and so she's like very afraid that a child will somehow, and I knew this, so I said, yes. So they came out and I said, boy, stand in a line on the dock here. I just drew an imaginary line. I said, you stay behind that line and you do not cross that line until I tell you it's okay. I'm gonna go get life preservers for you but don't come across this line until I say so. And they're all like, yes, dad, yes, dad. Kevin's like, yes, dad. So I go and I I look for the life jackets. These are uh, apparatus. Do you know what these are? They're swimming so that you don't sink, particularly for little kids. And I pull out two orange ones and one purple one. And I knew Kevin loved purple. And I knew what he was thinking. When I look back now, he was thinking, if I don't go get that now, one of the older guys will get the purple one, and I want the purple one. So I didn't see him, but he came running towards the boat, and the boat was right next to the dock, and when he pushed the boat, he fell in between the boat and the dock, and I saw his eye as it hit on the dock, and I saw blood spur. It's all I saw. You know how sometimes when something significant happens, everything slows down like it's in slow motion. That's what it felt like. So I saw him, the blood spurt, and I saw him begin to go in between the boat and the dock into the dark water of this lake. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no. You know what my first thought was? This is horrible, but this really was my first thought. I'm too fat. To get between the boat and the dock. I can't get him. What am I going to do? So I I got down on my knees and I plunged my arm into the water as far as I could. And by some miracle of God, I got hold of just his little finger. Just like this. Just barely had a hold of it. I'm holding on (laughs) with everything I've got. I'm like, come on, God, please. I know I'm not supposed to ask for stuff like this, but please help me get him out. Laurel was not cool. (laughs) She was pretty hysterical, understandably. And I pulled him out and you know, the cut really wasn't that bad, but you know, when you get a cut in this area, there's a lot of blood. So when I finally pulled him up between the boat and the dock, there's a lot of blood coming out of his eye and streaming down his face. He's kind of in shock. I see Laurel, she's kind of in shock. (laughs) So I just grab him and I start running and I say, I'm going to such and such hospital. Honey, meet me there. Well, it turned out, okay, Kevin just got, he he proudly wears, he has a little five stitches scar on his eyelid now and it's, now he thinks it's really cool. Uh, But at the time, it completely terrified me. I had that sense, you know, this sense of being completely helpless in a fraction of a second. I was like, there's everything in our life could have changed in one second. It's like, oh, I can't believe I got a hold of just his little pinky and was able to hold on long enough to pull him up. And it got me thinking because that week. I was studying, in my abiding time, Mark chapter 4. Do you know Mark chapter 4? Jesus tells the parable of the sower. You may be familiar with that parable. I'm just going to jump down. The the basic gist, Jesus says, when people hear God's word, the seed of God's word goes into their soil. He says there's four types of soil. I just want to talk about one of them this morning because it's there in verse 7. Jesus says, sometimes the seed falls among thorns and it starts to grow, but the thorns choke it out. Now, I I had the privilege of going to Israel and I saw those weeds. They wrap themselves around the crop, around the seed as it's growing, and they literally like start choking it. And here's what they do. They distract the nutrients away from the plant and into the thorn. That's what they do. I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. He says, some people, they receive God's word and then they get distracted by other stuff. The world, all it has to offer. Riches, the cares of this world, he says. They begin to distract Just like I got distracted by the purple life preserver. Just for a second, I got distracted. And it almost had terrifying results. You know, that's the reason that we're doing this project, the AIM Journal stuff because I believe that Jesus was talking about how easy it is for people who know Jesus. They already know who he is. They know that nothing but the blood of Jesus can cover their sins, but they get distracted. All of us do, don't we? And it's deadly. We get distracted and all the nutrients that are supposed to go into us as a new believer, they get sent, all of our energy gets sent to other things. Learning to play guitar, going to school, getting a job, having a family, whatever. Some of them very good things, but they become that distraction and they choke God's seed in our life. And so I wanna talk about this. I know it's when I, how I started here a few months ago, whatever that was. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He he wasn't unclear. He was like, love God passionately, love your neighbor indiscriminately. That's where we started. That's what we're going to be about. And the number one thing Jesus was very clear about is we must become abiders. We must become abiders. Take a look at John chapter 15. I'm going to read it again to us. Jump to the next slide there. I'm the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that does not bear fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it. He prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. You hear what Jesus is saying there? You already know me. You're clean. We just sang it. Nothing but the blood can cleanse us. You're already clean. That's not the issue here. The issue is fruitfulness. Will you be a fruitful disciple or you'll be somebody who says, I know Jesus. I know he died for my sins. I know he rose from the dead, but no fruit. Again, look what Jesus says, abide in me. I will abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He repeats it again in case you missed this simple story. Uh, If a man abides in me and I him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? What? Now we're really, we got to decide, is Jesus just using hyperbole here? Is he saying, well, of course, you can do some stuff. Or does he mean what he's saying here? That's the question. I know most of you get this. You go, oh, yes, I agree. We must abide in the vine. It's not a mental issue for us. I have hardly ever met a Christian who would not agree. Yes, this is the most important skill of discipleship is learning to abide. But over the years, I have learned the problem is not in our head. We believe it, or as Jesus once said, I'm glad you believe that even the demons believe that and shudder, (laughs) but you have to do it. I once did a survey with a thousand people, a thousand Christians, and I asked them, what's the most important thing you can do to grow spiritually? And they said some version of abiding. Uh, They weren't confused at all. I didn't get other answers. Everyone said, yeah, I got to figure out how to spend time with Jesus. Abiding. Nine out of 10 people put that number one. But then we ask them, how are you doing at that? Guess what? One and a half out of 10 said they were doing that at least three times a week. Nine out of 10 says the most important thing I can do, but only one and a half out of 10, we're executing, we're doing it. So that's why we're doing this. I'm not trying to convince you again, oh, you ought to do this because probably most of you are already convinced. I'm trying to convince you that this is a whole lot harder than you think it is. Do not underestimate this. This is the hardest thing you will ever do on planet Earth. The hardest thing you will ever do is decide that you're going to become an abider. So this morning, um, different than I would normally do, rather than just talking about one passage I'm going to talk about a lot. Over the years, I've developed a handful of principles I've learned about how do you become an abider? Because each one of these different people will get tripped up on different ones, but I'm gonna give you six principles of abiding here. Six principles. Number one, abiding is so incredibly difficult that it requires fierce commitment, fierce commitment. This is what I often don't see. Many people who know Jesus and know this truth, oh yeah, gotta abide in Jesus, but there's no ferocity in their commitment. We know this in almost everything else in life. Somebody says, I wanna play in the World Cup. We know what kind of ferocity it takes in their commitment to get there. Even if they're really gifted. They're going to have to work really hard if they're going to have a shot at that. I want you to know Jesus had to do the same thing. Look at Mark chapter one. Rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. This was not easy for Jesus. He had all kinds of distractions. What did the disciples want him to do? Stay in town and have a line of sick people that he would heal. Not a bad thing, obviously. But Jesus had a ferocious commitment to abiding with his father. And so he went, okay, if I'm gonna get time with God, I'm gonna go before the sun comes up. And I'm gonna go to a desolate place. Nobody goes there. Because if I don't, all the desire to do this in the world will not translate. Jesus had a ferocious commitment. Uh, Job 23, 12 is the next verse I want to look at. After I became a follower of Jesus, I was about 17 or 18 years old. I had an older man who trained Chinese missionaries. His name was Jake Combs. He sat down with me and he said, all right, read this verse out loud. I remember that, I remember reading. I have treasured the words of his lips more than my necessary food. This translation puts it, I've treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. And he asked me, he said, so what do you think that means? I'm like, I guess it means that I think that eating from God's word has to be a higher priority. I have to treasure it more than I do having lunch. And so he looked at me and he said, so do you believe that? Like, Yes. (laughs) He said, okay, then I'm going to challenge you this summer. You don't get to eat any day until you've had daily bread. No eating until you do that. I thought, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, that sounds really good. That should be really easy. I missed lunch a lot that summer because I got distracted and I started learning this principle, I better make a ferocious commitment because the enemy, the devil, he's gonna do everything in his power to stop this from occurring. I'm gonna have all kinds of good reasons why I didn't do this today. (laughs) It haunted me, uh, Jake's words. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. It's going to take that kind of commitment if you want to do this. Look at Proverbs chapter 2. Same message. Solomon, probably Solomon speaking to his son here. He says, son, listen, treasure up what I'm going to say to you. And then he goes off, tune your ears to wisdom, concentrate on understanding, cry out for insight, ask for understanding, search for them as you would for silver. Again, this man, Jake Combs, he said to me, what do you notice about the verbs in that passage? I go, well, they're all kind of violent. He said, right, cry out search for it, dig for it, like you're digging for hidden treasure. And he said words to me, I've never forgotten. He said, did you really believe that God was gonna surrender up the eternal truths of the universe without a little digging? Did you really believe that? I thought, yeah, I think I did. (laughs) I thought they'd just be like rocks laying around. I just pick them up. But I have learned this principle since then. I must search God's word like I'm looking for hidden treasure. Or it will not surrender all its truth to me. It requires ferocity and commitment. That's principle number one. Principle number two. (laughs) Jesus gives us, uh, we call it sometimes a binary choice, A or B. He doesn't leave us the middle. And I found in my life, I want the middle. I wanna say every once in a while I pray, every once in a while I read your word and I want results. And Jesus doesn't really leave that option open. Look at John 15:5 again. It's quite possible maybe somebody could argue, but if we take Jesus's words directly, he says this, those who abide in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Those who don't abide in me, nothing. Do you see the stark contrast there? He doesn't give three options. Those who abide in me will bear much fruit. Those who do a little bit of abiding every once in a while will bear a little bit of fruit and those who don't abide in me will have no fruit." He said, give the middle option. I have found over my years in ministry, this is true. It doesn't, I'm not talking here about, are you a follower of Jesus or not? Do you know his salvation? I'm asking, are you fruitful? And what's amazing to me is, There's not like a whole bunch of people in the middle who are kind of sort of fruitful every once in a while. But sometimes I've seen people that I go, "Eh, they seem kind of fruitful. But mainly what I've found is people who have much fruit and people who have no fruit. If you want to become an abider, you're going to have to believe that. Otherwise, you'll always opt for the middle option that Jesus doesn't offer. You'll always go, well, you know, I want to be an abider when I have time and it's easy and I'm not distracted by other things. He'll understand. It's It's not a matter of Jesus understanding. It's a principle that Jesus taught. This is not a, like, you can't diet this way, can you? I'll diet one meal a week. And hope I get results. No, that did not really work very well. <laughs> at least it hadn't for me. <laughs> either you're looking at your food completely or you're not. Jesus doesn't really leave us the path I wish sometimes he would leave us. Uh, either Fruit or no fruit. Dallas Seminary, where's Luke? Luke, Luke, Dallas Seminary guy, used to work at this seminary. One of the professors wrote a phenomenal book. It was a research study on students who went to seminary. These are people who, they love Jesus. They went to seminary and they gave them a test, a psychological test. Uh, It's called the Minnesota multiphasic. And it measured their health. Very extensive test as they entered into seminary. And then after three or Dallas, it's four years, right? Four years of study, they said, did anything change in their health? You know, they've they've been to all these Bible classes. They've been looking at the Bible all the time. Did they get better? Are they healthier people? And initially the professor was very discouraged because the results came back and said, no difference, none. In fact, some of them got slightly worse. Then he broke it down and he noticed in the research there was a category that said, these are people who study God's word and pray more than three times a week and people who do it occasionally. And he said, all of a sudden, it was like the sea parted, totally different results. His conclusion was, that people who studied God's word more than three times a week over a prolonged period of time, more than two years, got significantly healthier. Those that didn't remained about the same or slightly deteriorated in their health. That's some pretty stunning information, but I have found that to be true. Either you're an abider and you have a fierce commitment to this and know that Jesus says abiders bear much fruit, non-abiders bear no fruit. Or if you don't have that belief, you'll probably not do this. Number three, abiders don't look too different until drought. Now, if you've been to the abide seminar, you've already heard me talk about this. Psalm chapter one talks about it in length, and I'm not gonna spend all my time this morning on that, but I'd encourage you to read Psalm chapter one there. It talks about the man who delights in God's law, and it contrasts him to the man who does not delight in God's law. And he says, here's the analogy he uses. One is like a tree planted by streams of water, The other is like a tree planted two kilometers inland. And do you know what the difference between those two trees is most of the time? Nothing. Until it stops raining. In a drought where there's no rain, those trees are completely different. The tree planted by a stream of water who's a consistent abiding tree Look what it says there. Yields fruit in season, leaf does not wither, and everything he does prospers. That's a pretty stark contrast there. And and you have to believe this. If you want to become an abider, you have to believe, you know what, there probably won't be that much difference between me and non-abiders most of the time until crisis comes. Or as Jesus put it, until the storm comes and the waves what You can have your house built on sand. It's pretty much the same as the house built on rock until the storm comes and they're totally different. And I have seen this in my life. Personally, I've watched others. I go non-abiders in the moment of crisis, their house collapses. Abiders, sometimes they struggle a whole bunch too, but eventually God's word and that consistent abiding wins out and they oftentimes make it through those times. They're okay. You have to believe that or you will not make a ferocious commitment to abiding. Number four. God has a pruning plan. Now, this is a really important one because I think a lot of people when they say, okay, I'm gonna be a consistent abider, they think that means, therefore, I will not have any big problems anymore. See, I'm, I'm abiding daily, so I'm not gonna have any issues. They didn't read this passage very well. Look what it says. Every branch that does does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will bear more fruit." That's a tough principle, isn't it? You better understand this. Abiding will not make you exempt from suffering. Not at all. In fact, I think it's a pretty clear case in Scripture that it'll probably bring more suffering. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he was doing pretty good until he met Jesus and started following him. And then he gives a list of all these horrible things. How many times people tried to stone him to death. How many times he was whipped, jailed, set adrift at sea, bitten by snakes, bitten by people in the church. The same is true. If you become a consistent abider, do not think for a second it will exempt you from pruning. This is God's plan. When you become fruitful, he will prune you so that you will bear more fruit. See, from God's perspective, this life is a very, very brief moment in eternity. He's gonna prune you for maximum fruitfulness. You have all of eternity to be fruitful nonstop without suffering. All right, number five. I've talked about this one before, so I'll try and be brief here. There is a gap between sowing and reaping. Every farmer gets this. They understand when they plant seed, it doesn't come up that afternoon and bear fruit. There's a gap. They sow at the beginning of the season and then they wait patiently and nurture that seed until it produces a harvest. There are probably not many days that a farmer goes out and goes, look at all the progress we made today. They they don't even notice it and all of a sudden, if they're growing wheat, there's wheat stalks. If they're growing corn, there's corn. If they're growing fruit, there's fruit on the tree all of a sudden. How'd that happen? Galatians chapter 6 I think puts this well, do not be deceived, God can't be mocked. A person will reap what they sow. I have met an awful lot of Christians who do not believe this. They think they can sow whatever they want in their life, but they'll reap fruitfulness. Now, you're going to reap what you sow. That doesn't mean that Jesus will not forgive you for whatever you've done in your life. He will. (laughs) But you will still reap what you sow. If if you follow the path of the world instead of becoming an abider, it's pretty predictable. God cannot be mocked. You will reap what you sow. And so what's it say? Let us not Grow weary in well-doing for in due season, keyword, due season, we will reap if we don't faint. There's a gap, every farmer gets this. They know there's a due season. They go, well, I I just planted these seeds today. It's not due season yet. I have to patiently wait. Uh, Again, I had an older man tell me once, I think what's going on in your spiritual life right now is a reflection of the seed you sowed two or three years ago. Wow, I've never really thought of it that way. We're so immediate, we we wanna use the microwave. We want popcorn now. (laughs) Uh, I had a Scottish mentor, his name was Ian Pitt Watson. And he told me that he was a young boy his father his grandfather was a plumber and he used to ask him to come help him on jobs come down under the sink with me and help me he also farmed and so he would take him out and he'd teach him about farming and so they planted some seeds because i think if i remember correctly it was watermelon that ian liked so they planted some watermelon seeds ian got up later that night went out in the yard with his flashlight came back, woke his grandfather up and said, Grandpa, there, nothing's happening. And his grandfather had to explain to him, Ian, there's a gap between sowing and reaping. That's the way it works. You have to be patient until due season. If you're going to become an abider, do not think, oh, this week I started studying the book of Mark every day. I tried to spend time with Jesus. And all these wonderful, fruitful things happened to me. Maybe, but it's more likely that it's prolonged, consistent abiding over time will produce fruitfulness in your life. Principle number six. Here's our last one. Jesus says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Hey, this is the principle we're talking about here. I know you want to do this. I know you want to do this. I know you want to do this badly. Spirit is willing. But Jesus says most of us underestimate the flesh. It's weak. Do you remember the Garden of Gethsemane? He asked the disciples, could you guys come pray one hour with me? Do you you remember what happens? Not once, not twice. Three times they fall asleep knowing this is the crucial moment in Jesus' life. And he teaches them this principle in Matthew chapter 26. Jump to the, he came to the disciples, found them sleeping. This is the third time. And he said, Peter, couldn't you just do one hour? (laughs) Then he teaches them this principle of abiding. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I've thought about that a lot over the years. And I thought, so how do we help people overcome the flesh? It's not a question of can I convince people they should become abiders, they're convinced. The question is how do I get people, help them become abiders? And what I've concluded, there's two things we can do. We can give accountability, isn't it interesting that we say the most important thing you should do as a Christian, you should go do all alone, it's like, that's crazy. Everything else we do, we need community. If I say to somebody, you know, you're, you need to get in shape, so you need to be a runner. Don't tell anyone and just go secretly run all the time. And then go run a marathon. You know, most people that effectively go, I'm not a runner, but they eventually run a marathon. You know how they start out with? A running partner. Someone who calls them and says, come on, get up. We're running this morning. I don't want to. I know you don't want to. Get up, I'll be in front of your house in 10 minutes, we're gonna go run. I have found the same things true. When a church has people who are trying to abide together, we, I'm really hoping people will be carrying these around. So they go, oh, okay. We're gonna remind each other, we're gonna encourage each other, cause we need it badly. Flesh is weak. Second thing I've found is we need tools. A lot of times when I'll ask somebody, tell me about your prayer life, they don't really know. (laughs) They go, ah, I just kind of pray. Can you imagine trying to accomplish anything else in your life with that kind of plan? I'm gonna build my own house. How are you gonna do it? I'm just gonna build it. So one of the things we often need help with is tools. This is nothing, it's just a tool. It's all it is. It's just a tool. But I have found if we wanna produce consistent abiders, we need accountability and we need tools, that's the goal of this. There are probably much better tools out there. This is the tool we got. So we encourage you. Maybe this morning you're saying, I'm already an abider, I'm very consistent. I've had this down for a while. I go, well, just keep doing what you're doing. Well, we're not trying to sell anything here. In fact, maybe could you share with us how you've been able to do that? But if you're not a consistent abider, I would encourage you, we start tomorrow reading through the Gospel of Mark all the way through Easter. Every Sunday after you read during the week, somebody like me will teach about the things you've read this past week. We want to encourage one another to become abiders. Uh, Again, if you're confused, you're not sure what to do, don't worry about that. (laughs) Go back, somebody will help you figure out. In fact, the best way to teach people how to abide is just, I just open up my journal and I go, well, here's what I did. They look at it and they go, that's it? I go, yeah, that's it. They go, I can do that. I can do better than that. I go, I'll bet you could. (laughs) Why don't you share with me what you learned and how you got better at abiding, since abiding is the primary skill of discipleship. We're going to take communion in a second here. Do you know what the word communion means? It's kind of the same as the word abide, isn't it? Be with me, commune with me, abide with me. It is one of the ways Jesus left that he said, hey, Whenever you get together, whenever, I think he originally meant every time you have a meal. I I think that's what he was really saying. But whatever, when you get together, come commune with me. Come, Come be with me. Let me be with you in this time. That's what we're doing in communion this morning.
1: We hope this message was helpful for you. If you're in Haiti, join us on Sunday mornings where English speakers from all backgrounds, missionaries, diplomats, Haitians, expats, come together to worship, to connect, and to have fellowship with one another. You can find more information about our location, our service times, and our Sunday school program for all ages at our website at kiskeachapel.org. Or shoot us an email at chapelq@gmail.com. at gmail.com. That's chapelq@gmail.com. gmail.com. Thanks for listening
0: an old story about a farming village no no rain crops were dying they were desperate so they asked the young pastor hey would you would you pray with us that god would send rain so almost all the village showed up to pray for rain he looked around the room and he said okay everybody except that guy over there go on home everybody else leave but that guy over there and they said why does he get to stay he said He's the only one who brought an umbrella. There is a big difference between believing that abiding in Jesus will produce fruitfulness and people who show up with an umbrella. We'd encourage you, get an umbrella. Go in Jesus' name, amen.